Amen. Amen. We can claim the truth that we've sang today. We're going to see victories today in ways that we never could have imagined. I'm believing God for it. He all of those things that we have lost, and we give him praise for that today. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians. As you're turning there, you might put a finger there and go over to Philippians. We're going to be in a couple different places today. As you get your bulletin out, if you want to take notes, jot some things down, feel free to do that. We're in a series right now called Brain Boggle. And uh, last week I asked if anybody had played Boggle. Did anybody play Boggle this week? No. It, you probably can't even find the game anymore. I don't know. Uh, but how many of you have figuratively played Brain Boggle this week in your own minds? Yes, yes. It's been one of those weeks, I'm sure, for, for many of us. And today we're going to continue our series as we look at ways that we can straighten out our mind to do what Scripture tells us to do, to take captive every thought and make it obedient to that of Christ Jesus. As we learned some things over the last couple of weeks, and I want to kind of review with you this morning. As you recall, when we first started, we've learned so far that most of life's battles are won and lost in the mind. Most of life's battles are won and lost in the mind. We also need to remember and realize that it's almost impossible for you to live a positive life if you have a negative mind. Now, I, I put a caveat on that this morning because I'm sure there's some of you that think you're living a positive life and yet every thought you have is negative and, and, and oppressive and yet you still can find favor in that. So I want to say today, it's almost impossible <laughs> to live a positive life when you have a negative mind. You're working against yourself in that mode. And last week we began the process of training our mind so that when you control your thoughts, then you can control your actions. Then you can control your actions. And all of this is vitally important to us as Christ followers as we live out our life for Christ in our mind that results in the way we live it out. All of this is important because your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thought. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thought. A couple of weeks ago, we started this series with a, a passage of Scripture from 2 Corinthians, and I want to revisit that today as we dive into this message. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we're at today. And I want to begin reading with verse number 3. You can follow along on the screen as I read from God's Word this morning. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and I believe to us today, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Say that with me. Divine power. Say it again. Divine power. To do what? To demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Why do we do that? Because your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thought. We've unpacked and learned about the brain a little bit in this series. We all have created neural pathways in our mind 
And I want to get a little bit scientific for you this morning, and not much because I'm not very scientific or very smart, but I want us to revisit this for a minute. We all create these pathways in our brain with what we think. And as we think something, it becomes easier to repeat that same pathway. That's a neural pathway that we've created in our brain. It becomes more and more natural for us to go down that pathway. I used the illustration a couple weeks ago. My dogs have created a pathway in the yard where they go when we let them out. It's the same thing in our minds. We go to what we're used to. We go to what we know. We go to what we think. And these neural pathways that are created in our mind, they continue to work out in our, in our brain and we continue to create these pathways. The, the term for this is called cognitive bias. Cognitive bias. And another, another way to phrase that is we have mental filters that we think things through. Another way that we can phrase it, and for today I want us to think about this aspect of it, we have a mental framework in which we view our circumstances through. Cognitive bias. It's a term we don't normally use in everyday life. So what does this really mean? Let me, let me give you a definition of this. Cognitive bias is this. It is, it's mistakes in reasoning based on our personal preferences or beliefs. In other words, it's our mental filter that impacts what we think, which then impacts what we do. Cognitive bias is a mistake in reasoning. In other words, we think wrong, so we create that pathway of negativity, of, of defeat, of discouragement, and it's a mistake because we continue to go back to it. And we stay in that realm. You see, we all have created these default filters in our mind that give us this framework in which we live and look, view life through in our circumstances. It's also why people, they, they can see things differently in the exact same situation. Now, I don't want any wives to elbow their husbands here, okay? But it's it's... The facts are the same, but our filters are different. Let me give you an example. A, a, an employer, a boss at a job, has two employees that have done the same work, and, and it's time for review. And, and this boss is going to give the same exact feedback because these two worked side by side, and they did everything the same. So the feedback is given in the same manner to both people. Same exact facts. Same exact delivery, everything is the same. One employee takes that criticism and that, that information and gets completely offended. How dare they tell me that I'm not doing my job? Whereas the other person has taken the same exact information, delivered in the same way, and says, oh, I am so thankful that now I can do things differently and become better. You see what I mean? It's the same thing, the same scenario, but how we frame our life affects how we live it out and what we think. This is why in, in a personal situation, my wife and I do this quite a bit. There's so much nonverbal communication that goes on in our world today. Can I get an amen in that? It is hard to discern and decipher, to filter through a text message. You know what I mean? It's hard. Now, it's part of life. It's what we do. 
And so there's times when my wife will come, I'll come home one day and she'll say, BJ, I need you to read this because I'm reading it a certain way and I want to know how you read it. And I'll read it and believe it or not, and it's because opposites attract, I believe that, I get a totally different message from what she read. And we've been able to learn over the years that those neural pathways that we've created, we can actually help one another to reframe how we interpret those circumstances. You see, so our cognitive bias can put us in the same exact situation, and yet we can respond differently based on the filter that we're using. Let me give you another example that hits home for all of us today. One, because we're all here in the same room, which we call a sanctuary in church. Some of you may have come in today to the same service. You sang the same songs that I sang. You're hearing the same message that your neighbor is hearing. And yet you'll come in here because you have a framework of, man, I don't even know why I'm here. This place is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. Why would I waste my time here? Oh, yeah, my wife wanted me to come. Yeah, I got to be here. Or, or, no, I need to get my kids in church. But, man, these people, whatever. And then there's somebody that could be sitting right next to that person that says, oh, man, I'm so glad for God's grace that God has helped me to be able to overcome so much, and it's only by His grace that I'm here. I'm going to enjoy this and give my total all in worship today. Same exact church, same exact room, same songs, and yet our framework determines how we view our life. This is why last week we started training our brain with the first step. Training our brain through meditation and declaration. Today, I want us to train our brain through reframing. Reframing. So what is reframing? Here's what we're going to do today in reframing. Reframing is creating a different way of looking at a situation, a different way of looking at a person or a relationship by changing its meaning. Reframing is otherwise known as perceptual accentuation. How many of you use that term this week? I didn't think so. Yeah. It's also considered cognitive restructuring. So there's, there's an actual, you know, somebody said this to me this week that I thought was awesome. He said, if, if, if we were just created in this big bang and everything was chaos, then why is this stuff so important? Because everything should have just been figured out, right? But we serve a creator that was so intentional in every little detail that this stuff matters. So we have, we have this, this uh, perceptual accentuation, this cognitive restructuring, or as I like to understand it, and this is kind of that, this should help us in, in, in Pike County, I believe, and, and maybe even for Pastor Greg and where he's from as well. But we just do a little thinking different. You can't put the G on it. We are thinking different. That's what reframing is all about. We're changing the way we think. We're thinking differently about what's going on. We're looking at things through a different frame. You see, this is why it's important. If you get nothing else out of today, get this, this, this line. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. Let me say that again. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. Let me give you an illustration of how this works. 
little boy goes out into his backyard. Many of you have heard this story. He loves baseball. He gets his bat and he gets his ball and he goes out into the yard and he's got both of them. He goes, I'm the greatest hitter that's ever lived. And he throws that ball up and he swings as hard as he can and the ball drops. Strike one. I'm the greatest hitter there ever was. He picks that ball up, throws it up, swings as hard as he can and misses it. Strike two. I'm still the greatest hitter in the world. Not everybody hits it every time. And he picks that ball up and he tosses it in the air and he swings as hard as he can and it misses it. Strike three, you're out. He goes, not only am I the greatest hitter in the world, I'm the greatest pitcher in the world because I just struck out the greatest hitter in the world. What has he done? He's reframed. He's changed what actually happened in his mind. (laughs) We have to reframe our life a little bit. We have to look differently at our situation sometimes. We have to look differently at the people we interact with or the relationships that we're in. And if anyone was great at reframing their circumstances, it was Paul. Paul dreamed of going to Rome. If you study Paul's life, Paul Paul was one of those guys that his life was radically changed. In a moment's time, Jesus encountered him and it changed his life forever. And as he continued to mature and grow in his walk, one of the things that he wanted to do later on in his ministry in his life is he wanted to go to Rome because there's more people there. He could influence more people. He wanted to go to Rome and preach the gospel. He wanted to go and share the good news with the Roman people. And he wanted to go in in his term. He said, Lord, I want to go and preach your word. I want to go advance your gospel in Rome. And he had his mind made up in how he wanted to do that. Yet Paul never made it to Rome in the way that Paul wanted to make it to Rome. You see, Paul was arrested and imprisoned for his beliefs. And the way Paul made it to Rome eventually was in chains. And Paul is chained to a guard almost the entire day of his captivity as his days would go on. So he's in Rome, he's in jail, he's in prison, and he's chained to a guard. Yet, he did not change his purpose. He reframed his circumstance. Disappointed, I'm sure, that he didn't get to do it his way. But he began to think differently about what God had been doing in his life. Maybe you've shared some of those disappointments that Paul had. Maybe you've had some of those in your own life. Maybe you worked hard for for a certain degree and you began to go to school and you began to seek out a certain field of study and you finished your degree just to find out that now you're overqualified for the job that you have in a totally unrelated field. Pastor Greg and I talked about that this morning. You know, you get that degree and all of a sudden you can't get a part-time job at Walmart crazy. Maybe you've faced a disappointment in your life where you tried to honor God in your relationships and you began to to date somebody in your high school sweetheart and you got married and and things were, were blissfully well, framed in a perfect type of relationship to all of a sudden you're divorced. What has happened? How is God blessing that? We're disappointed in some of the ways things turn out. 
Maybe you've reached the age that you are today in life and you expected to be here and instead you're here and you're discouraged and you're defeated and you think that there's really no point and the frame in which you use to, to define your life, to live it out is in a negative mindset. You see, Paul, he could have written these words and possibly created a new translation of Scripture. Philippians 1, 12, and 13 in the NWV version, the new Winers version, might read this way. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, it really sucks. And as a result of the hell that I've been through, I'm quitting preaching. I'm, go I'm quitting going to groups. I'm never going back to church again. You see, Paul could have wrote that. But he didn't, okay? And for those of you that aren't familiar with Scripture, don't go try to search for the new Winer's version. That's, I just made that up, okay? It's not really there. But this is what Paul did write. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. You see, what most people would think is bad, Paul framed as good. He was sitting there chained to a guard, and he was chained to a guard for most of the day. Studies tell us that there were eight, eight hours, most likely, eight to ten hour shifts that he was chained physically to a guard. So the guard is enchained to him as well. So Paul's realizing, I may not get to spread the gospel to the entire Rome, city of Rome, but I have a captive audience now for eight to ten hours, and I get to preach the greatest eight-hour sermon I've ever preached in my life. Who's the prisoner now? And then when that changes, guess what? I got a whole new audience eight hours later. Wow, what a perspective to think about that Paul was changing the way he thought about being a prisoner. And then in verse 14, we read this. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Wow. He's in prison and people are taking notice of what he's doing for the gospel. We just spent a week at camp, and the main theme in the morning sessions was dare to be bold. If Paul is able to be bold in his faith while he's chained up in prison, can't we reframe our life a little bit? Say, you know what, maybe I can make a difference. Maybe I am worth something. Maybe God has a plan for me after all. If we want to learn to retrain our brains, we've got to retrain and reframe our thinking. And here's how we're going to do that. Three things quickly to reframe our thinking. Number one, we thank God for what didn't happen. We thank God for what didn't happen. You, you might have heard this story too. I'm going to tell it again anyway if you haven't. But uh, there's, a, there's a, a college girl that was off at school back in the old days when we could go to school and all that good stuff. And um, she called her home to her parents. School's still in session. It wasn't a normal break time. 
She said, I'm coming home this weekend. We need to talk. So she drives home. Her mom and dad are there. She goes, you're going to need to sit down for this. They sit down. She said, a couple weeks ago, I was out at a party. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to. I, I had a few drinks. I got, I got drunk and uh, ended up uh, having relations with somebody. And now I'm pregnant with twins. And uh, that continued. This, the good news is, is that the guy that I was with, he, uh, he will be coming off of probation soon. And then when he's off of probation, he's going to go to rehab. But since he's doing all that, he can't have a job. So he's moved in with me and we're going to raise this baby together. So mom and dad, you've got nothing to worry about. And as you can expect, their jaws are on the floor. And she looks at them and she says, okay, now I need you to know something. Every single word that I just told you was not true. I got a D on my chemistry exam. But I wanted you to know that things could be a lot worse. So when's the last time you thanked God for what didn't happen in your life? <laughs> so many times we focus on the negative, but really maybe we need to focus on what God didn't do. How are you framing the situations in your life? Maybe you missed that deadline at work and you're not going to get the bonus that you thought you were going to get, but thank God that you didn't lose your job. Maybe you got in a car wreck and your fender broke and it's going to be more, more money to, to fix than you have in your account. But thank God nobody was hurt. Put in your situation. Put in what you're going through now. Put in your storm right now. And whatever storm you're in, maybe we can be thankful that the boat hasn't capsized yet. Maybe we can be thankful of what God hasn't allowed to happen yet. In the grand scheme of life, we must remember to thank God for those things that don't happen. We reframe our thinking by remembering that sometimes there's people out there that have it far worse than we do. Number two, we need to practice pre-framing. Pre-framing. Our thoughts or our frames of how we look at life shape how we experience life. And they even, they even change how and when we experience those things in life. You know, there's many times that when we believe that something is going to happen, we kind of, we begin to act in such a way that it goes that way. And we begin to live it out in motion because we've thought about it beforehand and we think, you know what, this is probably how this conversation is going to go. And we, we play it back and forth in our mind. And then all of a sudden we go and live it out. And sure enough, here it goes, just like we thought. And then we think, you know what, I could probably make some money telling the future. And I'm going to go be, no, no, that's not how it is. We find what we're looking for. So this is, this is a sports term that, that I think really hit, can apply here. When we pre-frame something, we envision how it's going to go. And then we have to go out and execute it. But so many times if our framework is negative, going to execute something negative is not going to be good. I'll tell you what, just this week I was able to go play golf with a buddy of mine. We get out on that first tee, and one of the first things I do on the first tee is I know I'm, I'm stiff, I'm not loose yet, I'm not ready to go, but I have to envision hitting this perfect drive right down the center of the fairway. Amen, Andy? you got to do it. 
so I know what to do. I know how to do it. I've got my, I've got my spot picked out. I'm, I'm, I'm pre-framing my shot. And as I go and I make that shot and I hit that perfect drive just as far as you can see. <laughs> but sometimes it goes off to the right or it goes off to the left. And it's negative. Well, how am I going to reframe that? You know, when I was growing up and playing sports, my dad would tell me, I was a little guy. I still am a little guy. And so I got to play football, and I was so pumped to play football. There was a little part of me that was scared to play football that first year. My dad told me, he said, you know what, BJ, if you go out there and you play scared, you're going to get hurt. And so I began to pre-frame my thinking. If I'm going to go out there, I'm going to be one of the littlest guys on the field. I've got to go out there with so much aggression and so much passion that I'm not going to get hurt because I'm going to be going so fast that I'm just not going to get hurt. Well, everything was going great, and I'm playing, you know, full pads my first year, having a great season. I'm playing hard. Uh, we're, we're playing so good. I'm not getting hurt, and I'm so excited. And then one Sunday afternoon, I go out and play a little pickup game with my church friends. I've pre-framed my thinking to say I've got to be aggressive. I've got to go hard. I've got to go all out so that I don't get hurt. Well, I forgot the realization that I didn't have pads on, so I'm, I'm, now I'm invincible, Somebody's going to, I'm going to, so I go out there and I play with the same reckless abandon. I, I'm like, I can do anything. And all of a sudden this guy gets a kickoff that's three times my size. Comes running down the field. I'm like, I got this. Put my head down, my shoulders into him and just take him out. And I get up and there's blood everywhere. Busted my nose. Bleeding everywhere. I thought, you know what? My whole Actual season is now gone because I pre-framed my thinking. Now that's a that's a that's a bad scenario, but the the my, the thing the the mindset's the same. If we're going to go out and pre-frame our thinking, if we're going to go think that this is going to happen, then we got to go out and execute it. If you go out and you think, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do well, I'm gonna have a good day, and then all of a sudden you start to live your life and think negative thoughts, and then you have a bad day, you get home and you think, man, that didn't work. But when we pre-frame, when we realize, I'm going to have a good day and this is how I'm going to do it. We begin to take steps to create those new pathways that are going to make a way for us to be able to see life differently. You see, we must pre-frame our brains to counter the attacks of the enemy. So when we fail at something, when we, when we pre-frame our mind to think, you know what, I'm going to have a good day, I'm going to knock it out of the park today and it doesn't go the way we thought, don't let the enemy sit there and, and kill you by saying you're a failure. You tried to do what the preacher said to do and you failed. You messed up. You're not worthy. You can't do this. No, the devil will create labels that he put on you, and I guarantee you every label that the enemy has for you is negative. You don't have to own his labels for you. Let me say that again. You don't have to own the labels the enemy has for you. He's slapping name tags on you left and right. You're a failure. You're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You can't do it. There's so many people better than you. And you, don't, you can rip every one of them off. Because you are a child of God. You are His masterpiece. Just because you may have had a bad day, just because you might have messed up, maybe you failed at something, it doesn't make you a failure. Yes, BJ, you need to hear that too. Yes, I know. Thank you, Lord. That's good preaching. Thank you for giving me that. Just because you mess up doesn't make you a mess up. We've got to pre-frame 
our thinking. Thank God for what didn't happen. Practice pre-framing. And number three, we need to look for God's goodness. How do we reframe our mind? We look for God's goodness. You see, I, I alluded to it earlier. We're always going to find what we're looking for. If you want to see the bad in people, if you want to see the bad in your relationships and your circumstances, guess what? You're going to find it. If you want to see the challenges and the negativity that's all around us, you're going to find it. But if you want to see the good, the positive, the opportunities for God, guess what? He's going to show you. You're going to find it. You see, the difference is between two different types of birds. And we have both of these kinds of birds around here, so I know that everybody will understand what I'm talking about. How many of you have to double take in the sky when you see this big, seemingly majestic bird just soaring over the sky and you have to wait a little bit because you think it's an eagle, but it's a vulture. And that vulture's just flying around. He's mad before he even gets up in the morning. And then we have these other little things. We, we love these at our house, and we have these little hummingbirds. And they're just going around like crazy. They wake up just as happy as can be, and they're just fluttering around. They're too fast to get caught. You know, they're, well, what's the difference? This vulture who's angry at the beginning, what's he looking for? He's looking for death and decay and brokenness. If you look up and see too many of them circling, you might want to leave, okay? Because they find what they're looking for. So what's the hummingbird looking for? He's smiling. He's looking for sweetness, goodness, nectar, life-giving juice. Oh, that's good. How did you wake up this morning? You're looking for death? Are you seeing all the negativity and the nastiness, thinking there's no hope? I better go to church so I can get something out of this. Well, praise God you framed that well. But let's try to walk out of here with a different frame. Let's try to go out there and see the goodness of God around us. Amen? We need to look for God's goodness in our life. Paul wrote these words later on. He said, for me to live is Christ." To die is gain. In Paul's world, either way, he wins. But Paul wouldn't have chosen the pathway that God, given, God had given him, but he was thankful for what God had done in it. If God works in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, then we must reject the unhealthy, default, negative frames that we're using, and we need to look at life and allow Jesus to help us to look for God's goodness all around us. As we, as we wrap this up this morning, I want us to look at a couple different things very, very closely as we walk out of here today. We must stop interpreting God through our circumstances. We must stop interpreting God through our circumstances. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, there's many of us, and I've been in this boat before as well. When something bad happens, we look to God and we say, God, why are you doing this? And all of a sudden, we've put God in a negative framework. 
God, why did you allow that doctor's visit to go that way? God, why did you allow that person to do this to me? God, why didn't you stop this? And we start to view God through our circumstances. We need to stop viewing God through our circumstances. And rather, we must begin to reframe our circumstances through the goodness of God. You've been in that doctor's office and you hear that report. Yeah, this isn't what I planned. But God's still good. You're going through your own storm, your own hell. This isn't what God planned. But God will carry me through. We must reframe our circumstances through His goodness. It's hard to do because we have these pathways that our lives and our minds continue to go to. It's easy to go back to. It's easy when we fall off the boat or fall off the wagon to go back to this place that's comfortable. But let's begin to reframe our mind. Begin to thank God for what didn't happen. Begin to practice pre-framing and begin to look for God's goodness. And as we do that, we'll realize we're always moving in the direction of our strongest thought. And you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. Would you stand with me this morning? Father God, you are so good to us. We thank you for meeting us this morning. We thank you for breathing your life into us today. And whether we came in here with a framework that was messed up and negative, God, I pray that you help each and every one of us as we walk out of here today to change the viewpoint, begin to look for the goodness that you have in our lives. To begin to claim the victory that we've sung about today. To begin to realize, God, that you've got us. And if you've got us, then we can change the way we think about our circumstances. God, I pray that you'd be with each and every one of us as we leave this place. Help us, Lord, to not just be hearers of the word, but give us courage and boldness, Lord, to be doers of your word. May we put into practice what Paul is sharing with us today as we trust you to help us to reframe our thinking. God, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for what you're doing in our church, in your church. I pray your continued blessing upon each person here today. And as we leave today, may we leave in the anointing of your love and grace and peace in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. And everyone said together, amen, amen. Have a great day. We'll see you tonight for groups at 6.30.